Come with me. Uh, I am an essential worker. Essential worker? <laughs> yes. I work for Oskar Schindler. Essential worker for Oskar uh, Schindler. Yes. Yeah, yes. Twice as useless. Hey, hi, hello, how are you? And welcome back to Watch It Again, the podcast where we go through 101 movies to see before you die. As always, I'm your host, Jacob, and with me are the fantabulous... Cat. And Nick. <laughs> I thought you'd say It's Anne. like, is no. Nick with us this week? <laughs> I, like, I hate this. As always, we can't see each other, and that goes really well when I just leave it open for both of them to just jump in whenever they're ready. Um... <laughs> I mean, we're recording our own tracks now, so we could turn video on. True, but, you know, oh well. Um, yeah, I haven't put my face on, so. <laughs> so as the coronavirus shutdown continues, we are obviously still forced to be apart. But as always, we are bringing you brand new content to keep you sane throughout your isolation. This week, the topic... Is Schindler's List by Steven Spielberg in 1993. And honestly, this is probably the toughest movie that we've watched so far. And the longest, I'm yeah. pretty sure. But it was honestly rough. It was a really good movie, but it's... the. I don't know what copy you guys have, but the copy I have, the Blu-ray, says it's M. As if. I don't know. I, think, I don't know what. <laughs> this is gruesome as. Yeah, I don't know what um, mine said because I had an online copy, so I don't know. But, um, yeah, obviously uh, Schindler's List follows the story of, if I can change windows on my screen... Oskar Schindler is his name. Um, (laughs) In German-occupied Poland during World War II, industrialist Oskar Schindler gradually becomes concerned for his Jewish workforce after witnessing their persecutions by the Nazis. The film, honestly, is... We've touched on it before in a previous episode. I've mentioned it. So... Spielberg originally didn't want to direct this and offered it to multiple different people, including Roman Polanski, who rejected it, and eventually Martin Scorsese said yes. But while filming um, something else, Spielberg changed his mind and decided that he wanted to direct it and traded some another movie with... Scorsese in order to get this back but Universal wouldn't let um, Schindler's List be made unless Spielberg made Jurassic Park first so this movie only got made because of Jurassic Park and both of them came out in 1993, Jurassic Park I think in around June, July and then this in November and it was something that Spielberg didn't feel he was old enough or mature enough to direct it but then when it came time to actually when he finally had the epiphany he wanted to do it he felt like he was unable to do it himself well yeah and I think that's 
really important because he waited essentially an entire decade before even starting the production of this and I think that decade like no doubt gave him so much more experience and appreciation for what he was creating oh yeah like easily like he's was filming um I have it written here somewhere I think he was filming E.T. when he first heard yeah. about it. And then he offered... Um, um, Spielberg offered him, yeah, the chance to direct the 1991 remake of Cape Fear instead. And um, Scorsese took that. But it was such... So um, I was read this bit out. Spielberg finally decided to take on the project when he noticed that Holocaust deniers were being given serious consideration by the media. With the rise of neo-Nazism after the fall of the Berlin Wall, he worried that people were too accepting of intolerance as they were in the 1930s. Um, Sidney Scheinberg greenlit the film on the condition that Spielberg made Jurassic Park first. Spielberg later said he knew that once I had directed Schindler, I wouldn't be able to do Jurassic Park. The picture was assigned a small budget of $22 million as a Holocaust film are not usually profitable. Spielberg forewent a salary for the film, calling it blood money, and believed the film would flop. So there wasn't. Yeah, he put. You, no, you, oh, you go. Sorry, you go. You go. Oh, I was just going to say he. Yeah, he, like you said, he forfeited his salary and any further profits he would make from that film, but he um, put it into funding a. Um, what is it? It's like a memorial charity where um, victims of mass genocide and things like that, including the Holocaust, their um, accounts and stories are written down or recorded, like in yep. some way, to be preserved, um, which I think is amazing. Such an um, amazing outcome that this, I guess, movie has created uh, in one respect. Yeah, and so... There's so much kind of sort of sort goodness that's come out of such a horrific circumstance, and like this, the topic of this movie really is, you know, a difficult one, and it really it shows the raw fear and what's the word, you know disgusting nature that was the Holocaust. But it follows Oscar Schindler, who by all means was a member of the Nazi party, but who saved the lives of 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust. I'm just going to fix my mic for a second. There we go. And um, so by employing them in his enamelware and ammunitions factories in occupied Poland... He saved their lives, but the movie really ends on such an emotional note, and we'll touch on that oh, later. Yeah, that ending got but me. The movie itself stars like Liam Neeson as Oscar Schindler, and this was his first Hollywood role. Yeah, he was relatively unknown before. Um, this. He'd been seen in a stage play. 
by I think it was I don't know it was either Spielberg or someone else, and went that's the one, because someone else um hold on, so Neeson auditioned as Schindler early on and was cast in December 1992 after Spielberg saw him in perform in Anna Christie on Broadway, um. Warren Beatty participated in a script reading, but Spielberg was concerned that he would could not distinguish, sorry, could not disguise his accent, and that he would bring movie star baggage. Uh, Kevin Costner and Mel Gibson expressed interest in portraying Schindler, but Spielberg preferred to cast a relatively unknown Neeson, so the actor's star quality would not overpower the character. And he goes on to say that. Um, Neeson best portrayed like Schindler himself. He thought it was the most accurate, you know, portrayal of what they'd seen through script readings with different actors and auditions. But Liam Neeson, his performance alongside Ben Kingsley in this movie as kind of your two main characters in Oscar Schindler and... It's Jack Stern, or Stein, sorry, are just, it's a, they both give beautiful performances and really just the raw emotion that's portrayed throughout the entire three hours of this film captivates you the whole time. Like, it's the longest one we watched, but by no means felt like the longest one we've watched. Oh, no. I didn't feel like it was any work to actually no. watch and try and keep up with it. It was just a very emotional yeah. movie and quite mm. taxing in that sense, not that it was a slog yeah. to get through or anything it like that. It really draws, like, the emotion out of you and some of the scenes are genuinely horrific and there's the cold-bloodedness of some of this, the ways people are killed. Sorry, excuse me. Some of the ways people are killed throughout this film, it really just shows the brutality of the Nazi regime towards Jewish people. Like, I think what they did really well too was they didn't go into the movie and the first, I guess, death that you witnessed, it wasn't like the concentration camps or no. anything like that, which it so could have been, but it was the murder of a... Um, amputee on the street yep. and he was just trying to do he was his shoveling snow job essentially because he's a yeah. one-armed dude. and i yeah and because he was essentially deemed a non-essential worker they just shot him and i think that's kind of the turning point like obviously you realize what the movie's going to be about but it's like holy shit i just saw someone get yep. shot in the street and it kind of leads into all the other atrocities from there. Yeah, and there's a really powerful moment because this shot, sorry, this movie is in black and white, but there's three real moments of colour in a sense and two of them come with a three-year-old girl who's wearing a red coat and the scene is during the liquidation of the um, Krakow ghetto. 
So this little girl's kind of defiantly just walking the street while everyone's getting, all the Jews getting marched out around her and shipped off to different locations. And she kind of defiantly is just walking down the street as if nothing was happening around her. And then goes and hides under a bed. And it's such a powerful moment because it's this, this little girl in defiance of everything but um, so the little girl was portrayed by um, Olivia Dabroska who was three years old at the time of filming Spielberg asked her not to watch the film until she was 18 but and she promised she would but she watched it when she was 11 and says she was horrified but upon seeing the film again as an adult, she was proud of the role she played. Although it was unintentional, the character, um, similar to Roma Lagoka, who was known um, in the Krakow ghetto for her red coat, um, was proud to be part of something. So, but when this young act, you know, when she turned eighteen and watched the film, she was proud that she could have been part of a movie that showed this. But the difference in the character and the real-life girl that wore the red coat, um, Roma Lagoka survived the Holocaust, whereas later in the film, when they're exhuming the bodies and throwing them all on to be burnt, um, Schindler sees the red coat, and it's a really powerful emotional moment for him. It's like, like, because he watched her walk the streets in defiance, and then he sees that they found her and killed her and he's visibly moved by it. I think that's the real turning point yeah. for him too. I think like he sees that and he goes, holy shit, yeah. this is actually serious. This is what they're just, I feel like he becomes more emotionally connected yeah. to it rather than it just being it's a whole bunch of people he didn't know who were dying it's like these are people these are lives like I should be doing something yeah it's just in it kind of it, yeah his character development throughout this film kind of at first he just uses them and it's just a really because they were just slave yeah, it labor was really easy just, like free labor for him but then by the end of it, he tries to save as many as he can. And the other the other colour moment I want to touch on before we're going back to um, Shinlai is the opening scene of the movie features a family of in the um, Shabbat and the candles being lit and, you know, they're performing the service and it's before, you know, kind of this juggernaut of anti-Jew Nazism just kind of runs right throughout this film and the colour fades out in the film's opening moments and it just, yeah, it comes to this it goes from kind of this normality and safety to the black and white movie that we watch that is just this raw emotion and it's in black and white, you know because of topic and it's just you know it any bit of color is then used to be a glimmer of hope in an otherwise dark world 
Uh, yeah, that one. And then, then later on, when the Jews are then performing the ceremony again, the only thing in colour are the two candles. And there's the reds and the blues of the flame visible in the black and white because they are symbols of hope that maybe they'll get through this and maybe that they'll be okay. And like, yeah, so the whole, like Spielberg said himself that the black and white presentation of the film was to represent the Holocaust itself because the Holocaust was life without light. So cut. And he said, he said too, like the, um, I think Universal or someone to do with post-production wanted um, him to shoot it in a way that could be transferred to colour. But he said that he didn't want to, like beautify yeah. something so terrible. And you can see it in the girl in red, like that red jacket is painted. That's hand painted in. <coughs> like mm. you can see it move, and when trucks and people go past, like it comes back and it's grey again. And it's like someone's tra- like tracking that, like hand tracking that red into that shot because it goes grey and red and grey and red. I think that's really effective yeah. too because it's like. It's almost grungy. Yeah, and it also, like it's not perfect. Yeah, like it's a little symbol of hope, but it's showing that the hope's fading away and it's, yeah, such a dark time. Yeah. Um, we'll, co- we can, we'll come back to the story. I guess I'll just touch on um a couple of, like, you know, figures and whatnot. So it was released on the 15th of December, 1993. And by the time it closed in theatres on September 29th, 1994, it had grossed $96 million, which is the equivalent to $170 million today in the US alone and over $321.2 million worldwide. Um, in Germany, where it was shown in 500 theatres, the film was viewed by over 100,000 people in its first week. And eventually seen by six million, just in Germany. That's a lot of people. Yeah, sure. um, it made its US network television premiere on NBC on February twenty three, nineteen ninety seven. It was shown without commercials, and was the third highest ranking program of the week. Um, the highest. Um, ranking for any film since they broadcast Jurassic Park in 1995. Um, And the film aired on public television in Israel on Holocaust Memorial Day in 1998. Um, Following the success of the film, Spielberg founded the Survivors of the Shoah Visual History Foundation, a non-for-profit organisation with the goal of providing an archive for the filmed testimony of as many survivors of the Holocaust as possible, which I think was what Kat was mentioning before, to save their stories, yeah. he continued to finance that work. Spielberg used um, proceeds from the film to finance several related documentaries, including Anne Frank Remembered in 1995, The Lost Children of Berlin in 1996, and The Last Days in 1998. It's... 
for a th- for a black and yeah. white movie over three hours long about the Holocaust, it is phenomenal yeah. what it made. It cleaned up at the Oscars, so it won um, best picture, best director. Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Film Editing, Best Cinematography, and Best Art Direction. Liam Neeson was also nominated for Best Actor. Ralph Fiennes was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Was nominated for Best Sound, Best Makeup, and Best Costume Design as well. In the same year, it won Best Film, Best Director, Supporting Actor, Adapted Screenplay, Music, and Editing, as well as Cinematography at the BAFTAs. And it is just one of the most highly acclaimed movies of all time and is such a powerful story. Even like now, 27 years later, it could have come out yesterday. Like it is such a powerful and well-made film. Like it's essentially, and I mean, we, we watch films where there's dodgy visual effects. We watch films where there's themes and character motivations and character portrayals of the time that really don't age well compared to what we watch new now. But this essentially in its style, its narrative and how it's filmed is an ageless film. Oh, it's timeless. This film is essentially just immortalized in the, so perfectly portrayals, so portrays the events and is so well made and looks so just even in black. I don't want to say it because I want to talk, but it's visually a beautiful film and emotionally beautiful. Like it is the way that it's shot really just draws you into the story and you really feel these characters. And there's so many supporting character like Jewish characters that you really connect with throughout this film and you watch their journey from living their normal lives to getting put in the ghetto to getting taken to a concentration camp and you follow them their whole way through and you really feel for them in every single moment and you feel for everything they go through and it's just done so well that you are genuinely connecting with all of these supporting characters and so many of them have barely any lines. They're just kind of there in scenes and you just follow them visually rather than like vocally and they're they're not their personal lives aren't really seen. But you are so connected to them more than you would in other like films. I think that's like especially apparent kind of in the later parts of the movie when the women are um, accidentally transported to Was it accidentally, though? Uh, (laughs) um, And their, like, hair is all cut off and then they're standing in the the sanitation rooms, yeah, the showers, and, like, obviously, I don't know, they think they're going to get gassed. And you gassed. think they're going to get they're gassed. Gonna die. Yeah, mm. I was like, I was almost in tears yeah, like, watching that scene. You've got, you know, 60 plus women and a couple of main characters that you've really followed throughout this film. All of a sudden, 
naked in the dark in what you seem to think is a gas chamber, but it's really just a shower. And they, they're screaming, like the lights go out, they're screaming and you genuinely think you're about to watch them be gassed. And like, it's such a tense moment. And then all of a sudden just water comes out and there's a genuine feeling of relief that they're not being gassed. And you can see the relief in, even yeah. Even then though. But even then you're like, they're not like, safe. I'm still like, yeah. oh my God, it's poisonous yeah. water. And it's, yeah, it... There's this, yeah, little moments throughout this whole film. But I think, um, so Liam Neeson really plays Oscar Schindler well. So Oscar Schindler was a German industrialist and a member of the Nazi party who was credited with saving the lives of um, 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust by employing them. And he's now wearing ammunition structure, as I said before. Um... He grew up in Moravia and worked in several trades until he joined the, I don't know how to say that, um, Abruer, which is the Military Intelligence Service of Nazi Germany in 1936. He joined the Nazi party in 39, prior to the German occupation of Czechoslovakia. Oh, sorry, prior in the German occupation of Czechoslovakia in 1938. He collected information on railways and troop movements for the German government he was arrested for espionage by the Czechoslovakian government, but released under the terms of the Munich Agreement in 1938. He continued to collect information for the Nazis working in Poland in 39, before the invasion of Poland and the start of World War II. Um, in 39, he acquired an enamelware factory in Krakow, Poland, which is where the movie starts, which employed the factory's peak... Um, so employed at the which employed at the factory's peak in ninety four at seventeen hundred and fifty workers, of whom a thousand were Jews. Um, his connections helped protect his Jewish workers from deportation and death in Nazi concentration camps. As time went on, Schindler had to give the Nazi officials even larger bribes and gifts of luxury items obtained only on the black market to keep his workers safe. Um, by July 1944, Germany was losing the war and began closing the easternmost concentration camps and deporting the remaining prisoners westward, um, many to Auschwitz and the Gross-Rosen um, concentration camp. He convinced um, Eamon Goth, who is played by Ralph Fiennes, to um, be able to essentially buy his Jewish workers and move them away. So instead of taking them to Auschwitz, he took them to a separate camp in his hometown to kind of say, like, because they were his essential workers and they had to build ammunitions to keep the war effort going. And he kind of conned him into it because everything that they built didn't work. And there's a great line when... Um, Schindler says, you know, if any shell that comes out of this factory works, I'll be extremely disappointed. So he was buying other shells and passing them off as his own and then having his workers make faulty ones to try and delay, you know, to kind of sabotage the Nazi war effort. 
and yeah, he he just kind of becomes this hero, and there's this. He is the only. Um, where is it? He was buried in a Jewish ceremony and honored. Um, so he was buried in Jerusalem on Mount Zion and he's the only member of the Nazi party to be honored in this way. So he was given a Jewish burial and honored by what became known as the Schindler Jews and was buried in their holy land for saving them. And there's the most emotional scene at the end of this film. And it's after, you know, once the movie's kind of over, you then see the actual Schindler Jews that he saved in their old age in the 1990s, being escorted by the actors that played them to his grave to pay their respects. And it is such a powerful moment to watch. And it really is kind of the final emotional straw in this film. And it really... Just oh, break, yeah. yeah. I was in tears watching like, this. <laughs> you followed all these people and they are real life people. And everyone, it's all just real life events. And then you actually see them, you know, hand in hand or being pushed in a wheelchair by the actors that played them. Yeah, his wife was the one that got me. I yeah, was like, oh, my God. Wife, yeah, it was such... Or ex-wife. Like a powerful thing. And then it's just, like, I wasn't expecting it at all. But for Spielberg to include that was such a nice thing to do for these people. Mm. Like, he really put so much effort... like. He was so enraged by this neo-Nazi rise in America that he made such a historically accurate film and then went out and did so much charity work for the survivors of these events. And for him to do that is such, I guess, such a strong thing for someone in Hollywood and as a director to do. Because it doesn't happen often, or if like ever. Just everything in this is just so not what no. I expect from Spielberg. Like everything I like, at least everything I'd seen up until now is like ah, oh, a fun little adventure. Yeah. Uh, you know, safe and great for the whole family. This is yeah, and like it- uh, like. I admire it so much. Like, it's, imagine making like this would have been such a risk at oh, the time. Yeah. Like you said, he thought it was gonna bomb, and that's why he was so like unsure that he was mature enough yet to make this film. Because like you know, things he'd done in the past, it was always not to label it, but he made the blockbuster sort of thing. Like yeah, it was yeah. the that yeah. was the like you know the movie that everyone watched, and even like in saying this. Jurassic Park is a prime example of that. And yeah, he was kind of forced to make Jurassic Park so he could make this. But he even said if he made this first, he never would have been able to do Jurassic Park. 
because this was kind of a this is kind yeah. of a turning point for him in how he sees his own ability and how he kind of his own emotional maturity in his work. Mm. So um it's just such a good yeah. movie. Uh, where are we? So Schindler's list there was um, seven lists in all that were made by Oscar Schindler and his associates during the war. Um, four are known to still exist. So four of them ex- are still, you know, in a known location. The other three are lost. So two are at the Yad Vashem in Israel. One is at the US Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. And one is privately owned... Um, and was unsuccessfully auctioned in 2013. The movie... Yeah, sorry. and the actual lists weren't found until after the movie yeah. was released. They were only found in 99 um, in the flat that Schindler lived in until his death, which I think is it's like... Crazy. Imagine that piece of history yeah. being locked away in a... Attic somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so the movie kind of refers to the first two lists created in 1994, otherwise known as the Lists of Life. So they include the name of more than a thousand Jews who Schindler and his associates wrote out in order to have them saved from going to Auschwitz and instead having them listed as even more than being essential workers. They were. You know, he kind of had them, like, he essentially tricked the Nazis into thinking that he owned them, but was saving, like, was only, you know, bought them in a way to get them out. He just bought their freedom. He bought them protection. And when he takes them to that camp that he's then in charge of, he tells the soldiers... There is no, you know, unjust killing. The soldiers aren't allowed in the factory without his permission. He sets down all these rules to protect them and to give them a level of decency. He allows them to perform religious ceremonies. And even when the soldiers hear them, and this group of soldiers, you know, they're, it's mainly a bunch of kids because it's towards the end of the war. Like most of the soldiers that you see look around our age or younger. And you can see they're so inexperienced. They don't know what to do and they're just following orders. And they see these people living their lives and they see these people performing ceremonies and you see that they don't hate them. They don't understand why they've been told these Jewish people are monsters and devils and, you know, are going to do all these things to them because they're seeing these kind, caring people that are scared and... It changes. So when it gets to the end and the war's over, they're all there and the soldiers around the outside of the warehouse room and all the everyone's in the middle and Schindler's kinda like, you know, you've been given orders to kill them. Now's your chance. You can kill them all and be murderers, or you can go back to your families as men, and every single soldier turns around and walks out of the room. And it shows that like, you know, so many of these German soldiers didn't want to be there. They didn't want, you know, a lot of them didn't hate the Jews. 
a lot of them did. You know, a vast majority of them did, but all there's there's so many kids that were just conscripted towards the end of the war that didn't know why they were there. They grew up in a wartime and didn't want to fight in their parents' war and didn't understand this hate because they were all they were exposed to were kind people. That or they like genuinely believed the propaganda of like Jewish people being like evil and being able to like oh, control yeah, your minds so and many, shit, which they can't like touch on. Yeah, so once. many of them believe that, but then when these kid soldiers are actually exposed to them, they see that they're just people. And that mm. oh, these people deserve, you know, to live. Yeah. 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 It's such a good movie. And I think, like, one thing I wanted to bring up to um, is the scene when the Nazi party with, um, uh, who does Ralph um, Fiennes play again? Um, yeah, him and other soldiers or whatever mm. are sitting at a train station yep. and they've just loaded Jews onto the train and Schindler turns up and he's fanning himself and it's obviously very hot and so he goes and starts to hose down all the carriages with the Jewish people in them to cool them down and give them water and I think it really shows that he kind of he obviously knew what he was doing and he was obviously very clever at kind of using the folly that he kind of made himself out yeah. to be. Like he kind of made himself seem silly yeah. in order to get away with oh, more yeah, things, definitely. I think. Mm. Especially in front of a group of Nazi party yeah. members who could shoot him on sight if and they then, wanted to. Um, Eamon Goth, Ralph Fiennes' character, no, realize, comes to realisation what he's doing. And then dobs him in for kissing the Jew girl at his birthday. Mm. And he gets, you know, temporarily arrested, <laughs> but has <laughs> such high connections in such high places that it's kind of like, yeah, who cares? Like, see you later. Yeah, like he was put under yeah, his spell. it's like, whatever, mate, like, good Something. on you. Just don't get caught up with him all the time, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think um, in reality he wasn't arrested for that, but he was arrested like three or four times for his dealings in the black market. But because the people then technically arresting him were the ones, like all the higher officials of the people arresting him were the ones benefiting from what he was getting on the black market. He was let go every time (laughs) because they were the ones benefiting from all this, you know, caviar and wine and vodka and all these other different things that, well, as if they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to put you in prison, but then I won't have all my nice things anymore. So you keep doing what you're doing and we'll (laughs) just look the other way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um... 33 years after dropping out of college, Spielberg finally received a um, BA in film and video production um, in 2002. The director re-enrolled in secret and gained his remaining credits 
by writing essays and submitting projects under a um, pseudonym. In order to pass a film course, he submitted Schindler's List as his student project. <laughs> so in that sense, Schindler's List is, by all definitions, technically a student film. That's great. <laughs> Imagine being a tutor and receiving Schindler's From List as your final work. <laughs> okay. You know more than me? So yep. Like, yep. If it's won more than one Oscar, I think yeah, we'll be fine. 100% for you losing marks on paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's so good. In 2016, he was quoted as saying, I think it is maybe the most important time to release this film because it came back in theatres. Um, well, it, yeah, so sorry, it, it came back in theaters for its 25th anniversary in um, 2018. But in 2016, Hubs um, was saying, I think it's most imp- it, this is maybe the most important time to release this film. Said, And then he said, um, hates less. Um, I don't even know how to say that word. Parenthetical? I don't know, today. So he was kind of like the new rise of neo Nazism in America again. And that, like, oh, yeah. in the last couple of years... With the yeah, political election. With the last couple of years, he thought this it, the 25th anniversary and having this movie come back to theatres was such an important thing to do and to have people have it refreshed in people's minds what going down this path leads to. Because there is such a rise of neo-Nazism and really radical ideas again that... And people just seem to accept it and it's fine and there's so much hate and, you know, anger and, like, diversity... Not diversity, um... What's the word? Divergence throughout society again that, you know, people are ignoring what we're meant to have learnt from the past and we're just stuck in this cycle. And if, you know, people don't realise what horrors these people that get persecuted went through, it'll just keep happening. Yeah, I think there's never a bad time to watch this no. movie. Like it is such a powerful, powerful film, and like it, like watching this, like it's it's an emotional three hours. Like you are genuinely there. Is times where your like genuine emotion comes forward. Hmm. Well, I, like, I couldn't sit through the three hours. I had to stop it and get up and, yeah. like, go and do something else because, yeah, it just, it gets to yeah. you. It really, really gets to you. It's just, yeah, it's it's just insane. Like, mm. this, for me, is genuinely the best we've watched, without a doubt. Of everything, yeah. what's episode 26? And this is the most powerful and the most well-made movie that we have watched and potentially could be on the entire list. Hmm. And I think what, for all three, Jesus. this was the first yeah. time we'd watched this. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah. yeah, I just, I can't, I wasn't prepared for yeah, this. see, I 
I think I was shown clips of this. Um, I think it would have been in Newstep, and it was like I kind of got a taste of like how brutal yeah. it was. So I feel like it didn't like sneak up on me as much as you guys no. probably. But um, yeah, like I really wish I had gone into this completely yeah. blind. But because um, I, I think it being in black and white, you don't expect the um, brutality. No, oh, some of the scenes with the blood going through the snow was so painful. Yeah. Like, it was like, holy I, shit. I think they get away with way oh, more yeah, of it because too. It's, because it's black, it's black yeah, and white. It's not red blood like, going everywhere. It's black. You, you know, you can kind of... Yeah. Yeah. I think too, um, for essentially a war movie, it's not... It doesn't portray war, and I think that really works in its favour. Yeah, it, it kind of portrays yeah, the brutality of those that are prisoners of war. Yeah, it yeah. focuses more on the Jewish people rather yeah. than the World War Two, I guess. Mm. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it, it focuses on their struggle and their actual... Yeah... Their, their plight and, like, it's horrific what they went through and you genuinely feel, like, pain in watching this, knowing that these are real events yeah. and this is what actually happened to people. And yeah. people lived through this for, like, a you know, near a decade, if not two, of persecution and hate and not having a place anywhere in the world for them to go where they weren't essentially hated by someone. And it's so highlighted at the end of the film, you know, the Germans are gone, Schindler's gone, and they're all just kind of sitting out on this railroad at the camp. And this soldier rides up on a horse and goes, I'm here, you know, you are liberated on behalf of the Russian forces. And, it's kind of like, and the, yeah, uh, he gets asked, you know, where do we go? And he says, well, don't go east because they all hate you there and don't go west because they hate you yeah, as well. Probably don't go west either. And he's like, oh, there's a town over there and they mm. go to that town. And there's then a, there's a really powerful shot of just, you know, hundreds of Jews walking over this hill towards this town. And that's when it cuts to them, to then them again, like the in colour in, in the present day. You know, I love that shot. 50 years later, mm. walking over this hill, and then it gets to them paying their respects to Schindler's grave. And it is such a powerful ending to this film. Like, I recommend anyone that hasn't seen this has to watch this film. And I can't stress that enough. Yeah. Everyone should be forced to watch this at some point in their life. It should be a requirement. Like, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Just go yeah. watch it. If you haven't Please. seen it, 100% go watch it. I know one of our listeners hasn't, so Isaac, go watch it. <laughs> Called out, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, like, I just... Was, yeah, genuine, was not expecting the level of brutality in this film when I put it on this morning. Like, I really, yeah, it just really wasn't... 
I wasn't expecting to like kind of be as engaged with some of the Nazi characters yeah. as much as like as much as I was. Like Ray Fiennes in particular, I was like, oh holy shit, this guy's like weirdly. Well, you, you kind of do like, feel for him because he's, yeah, he's a psychopathic Nazi, but at the same time, he has struggles, and then still kind of Schindler to a degree brings him around. Yeah, and he, he he yeah you can kind yeah. of see him fighting yeah, it, and he you know he kind of he's obviously the product of Nazi Germany, and the product of being brought up mm. in this time but in he, that world. You can see yeah. he knows he's morally doing the wrong thing, and he's genuinely struggling with his actions. And even there's a really powerful scene where the rabbi is taken out. Because he was delayed, in, he wasn't making hinges fast enough, but they didn't care that he'd been forced to change and he'd been shoveling coal all morning, so only had just started. But he's like, oh, you've been working since six this morning. Why have you only made so few if you can make them this fast? Mm-hmm. And he takes him out to, you know, shoot him and his gun jams and jams again and jams again. And he takes out another gun and it keeps jamming and then he just, you know, kind of whacks him and lets him go. And you can see, like, He's visibly angered that he can't kill this man. But then later on, he's kind of so caring for his Jewish maid. Even though he may have beaten and raped her earlier in the film, he does love her. And that's not a justification for any of his actions. It's just... He's so morally conflicted in everything with Jewish people. And I feel like Shima, to a degree, does redeem um, Goethe in some way because he does allow Schindler to buy them and help Schindler send them to a different camp and not to Auschwitz. He's instrumental in having them not to go to Auschwitz. And I think that's kind of like a redeeming moment that he helps Schindler do that. Yeah, so I was weirdly on his side. Like, when you see him, like, about to be hung at the end, I was like, oh, it's a shame. He kind of, like, yeah. redeemed himself. But then he went, Heil Hitler. I was like, yeah, oh, damn it. He's bastard. <laughs> right, right, right at the end, he really just... Really put his foot in it, yeah. <laughs> he blew it. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Like, this movie is... Just, I have no words for it really. Like, I'm was just blown away by it. Yeah, it's just like essential yeah. viewing for like any. My film notes fan. each week. I usually there's usually like at least a page or two of stuff, and you know I've got who directed it, year, you know, kind of some monetary things, cast and whatnot. And I've got, and then there's also like random story moments and things that I jot down to discuss. Mm. I apart from cast list, director year, and like the budget and stuff, I wrote down one sentence because all that other stuff I write down before <laughs> I watch the movie. To be fair, it's like a story about the yeah. Holocaust. Like we kind of yeah, yeah. Like we get it. Like you know all that like all the cast list, director, all that stuff. I write down and then I watch the movie. So I've got a cast list there. You know who's playing which like character. Mm-hmm. You know, I've written down like how much it made and all that sort of stuff. And then I'll, once the movie starts, I'll just jot down notes of 
different things that happen or different moments, different like, you know, transitions or like, you know, just different things that I noticed during the film. I wrote one note this week and that was the girl in the red jacket. That's all I wrote. It was my only note. Yeah, that because that was one of the um, scenes I was shown, but I, I hadn't yeah. seen the second one with her in it, with her dad, and yeah, that was and I, yeah, soul crushing. I wrote it when she was walking down the street. I just wrote the girl in the red jacket, so that's, that's such a powerful moment in this film, when it's such a powerful moment for Shimma watching up on the hill, and then it really became an emotional moment when you see her dead. And yeah. you genuinely feel like heartbreak. And you can see Schindler's heartbreak for that little girl. Mm. Yeah, Schindler was not what I expected no. either. What I kind of expected. I, I didn't expect like a playboy. Yeah, he's... Like, cool yeah. dude. Yeah. Well, I guess he kind of had to be to he, fit he in with the, the role. He, yeah. Nazi yeah, party. Yeah, he's really just kind of, you know playing the Nazis and giving them all these things and nice toys and girls and food and drinks and meanwhile it's just saving the lives of over a thousand Jews underneath their noses, you know? Mm. Yeah. And I think it should be noted too that he he literally went broke yeah. because he was yeah. protecting these people. He went people. bankrupt. He then, um, hold on, I've got it here. Um, and because his factory wasn't making anything, he couldn't then sell no. it. So when the war ended, he moved to West Germany, where he was supported by assistance payments from Jewish relief organisations. After receiving a partial reimbursement for his wartime expenses, he moved with his wife, um, Amelie, to Argentina, where they took up farming. When he went bankrupt in 1958, Schindler left his wife and returned to Germany, where he failed at several business ventures and relied on financial support from um, Schindler Jiden, which is translated to Schindler Jews, the people whose lives he had saved during the war. He died on the 9th of October 1974 in Hildensheim, Germany, and was buried in Jerusalem on Mount Zion, the only member of the Nazi party to be honoured in this way. He and his wife, Mel. Um, were named Righteous Among the Nations by the Israel government in 1993. Do you know how, know how he died or was it just old um, age? He died at the age of 66. It doesn't say... Um, hold on, I'll scroll down and see if it's got... Um, Um, no, it doesn't say. Yeah, no, I'm looking at no, it. Who knows? But for him <laughs> to be honoured by the Israeli government, for him to have, after the war, for him to be supported by the Jewish people, a member of the Nazi party that essentially spent the rest of his life getting essentially welfare from the Jewish people means that he meant so much to them and they were so grateful for everything that he did for them that, you know, they were willing to help this man. And it's such a powerful moment when he's saying goodbye 
It's between him and um, Itzhak um, Stein, played by Ben Kingsley. You know, when he's kind of saying goodbye and he make, Ben Kingsley's character, like, makes him this ring and it kind of thanks them. And it's like a thank you message in Hebrew on it. Sorry. And um, he's in like, oh, you know, I should have saved more. I should have got more. And then he gets his brooch off his jacket. And it's like, <clears> this is gold. It would have been one more one more person that's now dead, mm-hmm. one more I could have saved. And he has a full breakdown that he couldn't save more. And it shows like he genuinely, genuinely felt that he needed to save these people and that were worth saving. And it's such a strong motivation. And obviously like this movie has been hailed as being so historically accurate because Spielberg did his research and he sat down with the actual people and asked them what happened. And these people then had meetings with the actors that played them. And, what you know, they they were told all these different events of what these people actually went through. And they just recreated it on screen. And that's what makes this, like, so much harder to watch and to digest the raw brutality of what happened. Mm. Yeah, I, I just, you know, like anyone that hasn't seen this needs to see it, please. For the good of humanity, yeah. see it. <laughs> I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't have anything else really to add. Like, I think I've just kind of blurted it all out. For the last almost hour, I've kind of just, whoo. <laughs> Yeah. Like I wasn't like I felt like emotion saying some of that. Like, oh yeah, you can feel it, yeah. and like you can still yeah, see. It. Like I can see of things happening that happened on screen. Like, yeah, it's just insane. What are three things you liked or disliked? Jake? Three things I liked is everything, everything, and everything. <laughs> I, that was gonna be my I answer. <laughs> I literally can't find a fault. In this film. No, dislike There's is... nothing I did... Like, yeah. nothing. I mean, oh, okay, I can say one dislike is obviously that the Holocaust actually fucking happened and that all of this is... Oh, all yeah. of this, As you should, all of this yeah. is true. That it's just real, yeah. real life people's life events. But at the same time, that gives it so much more power. And then you can say that's something that you like is that Spielberg was ballsy enough that instead of just to make up people and just to have, you know, make a Holocaust movie that he could have just used, you know, names and then just make up events, he went to these people and asked them what happened in their lives. Yeah, see, I couldn't imagine this being made today with, like, as much care or, like, justification behind, like, the brutality. so much effort in finding out the truth from these people and then piecing that together to recreate the turmoil of their lives. It's just the achievement alone from Spielberg in this is just the utmost respect that you could ever give anyone. Like, yeah. yeah. I don't think no one else could have done no. it like he did. It's just, oh, I'm blown away. Like this compared to so many other things he's done. It's like, thank you. For, you know, th- thank you that this exists. Yeah. I don't. 
man. Do you guys want to add anything? I guess you guys are in the same boat. Like is just everything. Yeah. Um, I, we haven't really touched on this. I really, like, enjoyed the, like, subtle implements of, like, comedy in it, weirdly. Like... I oh, know. I just didn't expect it's, that at all yeah, from this. Some like really witty moments. The, the scene yeah. where, yeah, when the wife's like, "Oi, either like, you can, I'll only stay if you remain yeah. faithful," and it just cuts her <laughs> on the train leaving. <laughs> I, I did laugh at that. That was pretty funny. You know, like just stuff like that. I and I think that's yeah. what really <laughs> stopped this from being like such yeah. a drag and like a kind of just head fuck. I'm like. It, it makes it more yeah. um, digestible, I and think. there's some great, you know, kind of banter between um, Schindler and um, Amon Goth, the Nazi kind of guy in charge of the camp. I think yeah. the back and forth between them sometimes. I read somewhere the um, lady, so like the, the maid, yeah. the real-life maid of his met Ray Fiennes and was, like, really off-put by how similar really? he was to the real dude yeah, they're, yeah they're, she was like visibly like shaking no she walks with um the actress that plays her and I think yeah. Ben Kingsley walks with um Schindler's wife was it no no I think he was with the guy no, he was with, he was with he the was with, woman well, yeah uh, was he I think that, it, was Schindler's that wife. Was, it wasn't it wasn't him yeah, okay. with Schindler's wife. I don't think. Yeah, I, don't I think know. it was a woman pushing her. Anyway, um, but should, oh, we, should we move on to lighter and more exciting things? Probably. Uh, absolutely. So we yeah. can go to uh, what we've been watching and what we're excited for. And oh boy, did I watch a thing this week! Oh yeah. What thing did you watch? So I'd only watched about five episodes of the new season of Clone Wars. <laughs> And oh, I've binged yeah? it to uh, up Star to date. <laughs> I've like binged, so I'm now up to date. Are you up uh, to date, nice. Nick? Yeah, I think I'm only up. No, I haven't. I'm, I'm up to the first Ahsoka okay. episode still. I won't spoil it, but good, in good. the most recent episode, holy shit, it's the most exciting thing that's ever happened in Star Wars. Okay, all right. I, I will get onto it. Are they all out now? No, Is it so... Finished? The this, so like there's the standard opening of Clone Wars, you know, there's the narration and bloody blah, blah. This just opens with yeah. a Lucasfilm limited production, and then a full Star Wars music. Just you know, Star Wars shoots across screen like Star Wars: The Clone Wars, and it just shoots off, you know, in that classic sprawl, and then it cuts to the narration. Mm. So. Uh. It's not a spoiler, so you're not going to get mad at me because it was announced like with the whole. <laughs> we'll well, see. It was announced with the whole season what they were doing. So the final season was obviously we're leading to. I don't know what we're they're doing. We're obviously leading to episode three. Yeah. So episode seven is essentially what happens just before episode three starts. Oh, and nice. then the rest of the season is running parallel with Revenge of the Sith. Oh, did we? I, I swear I said something yeah. like that on here that they yeah. should do that. So literally, 
we are following oh, so the smart, events yeah. of other characters. We're, we're following the events of characters where it's like, well, whether, like, that we've, you know, through this whole show, well, whether were they during Revenge of the Sith? Well, now we know. <laughs> now we know what they were doing at the same time. And, like... Yeah. Okay. The, uh, well, I'll, I'll like, get on to that. The genuine production next... quality of the episode from episode six to episode seven just changes. It just, yeah, well, it's see just that. like, holy shit, this is amazing. See, I was worried about that. I was watching like the Bad Batch yeah. episodes and I was like, oh, is this no, going to be the whole season? Cause no, this, this, is... this episode, like the first, like this kind of the the big finale, which I think is supposedly a feature length, like similar to the other Clone Wars movie. It's like essentially like a right. feature length thing to split up into each episode. Okay. I'm yeah, I'm, uh, it was ama- like this episode was amazing. I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever watched. <laughs> this is the greatest Star Wars thing I've ever watched. Sorry, correct. Because the movie I watched today is like the greatest thing I've ever watched. Okay, do tell. Chinless list. We literally oh, yeah. just spent oh, an sorry, hour thought you, like, talking about meant, it. No, sorry, I thought you meant something else. I was gonna say, oh my god. So all I watched this week, I pretty much watched like another episode of Tiger King, and then. Like four episodes. Oh, where are you up to? With well, last it? week I was an episode. I watched three. Now I've watched four. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, I watched. Obviously, I like, caught up on Star mm. Wars, and I watched um, Tolkien the other night. The movie. Oh, is that the one with the um, about a boy boy? Yeah, with the dude from X Men. Yeah, it's yeah, really good. Yeah. It was really good. I've seen. Yeah, dude I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really yeah. good film. Like that was a great little drama to watch. And I, yeah, I watched it the other night. It was good. Mm. Mm. But yeah, right. apart from that, nothing. Um, I can go. Ne- yep, uh, I yep. can go next. Um, I watched Doctor Sleep finally. Like we uh, said, we'd watch finally. it. Is it good? The week we reviewed it's the so Shining, good. I it's loved so good. it. It's like all, it's almost just as good as. The it's easier so, to watch. Wait, wait. I'll have, have to a, watch no, it this week and report you. back. How long did the version you watch go for? Yeah. Of Doctor Sleep. Two and a half hours. Oh. So that? there's two versions of this movie. And we only figured oh, this really? out when it came into work. Because I think the DVD copy is like two, two and a half hours. The Blu-ray copy goes for three hours mm. and ten minutes. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh. And that's the one I watched. There's an extra 40 minutes of movie in there. What's... I feel like I know, but what... what If it's not a spoiler, what's the extra stuff I don't know, because I've, 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 no, I've only watched the extended ones. So I don't know which bits are missing. Uh, I've only true. watched the Blu-ray version. I feel like I have a feeling I have a feeling I don't know what it is but yeah we may have to wait till Kat watches it to um, get into specifics we'll have a conversation on PlayStation afterwards (laughs) yeah right yeah there are parts I want to um, touch on but yeah Um, I also watched The Hunt was it good? I it, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty okay. good it's pretty good no no, no I, I liked it I had fun it's just kind of like silly have you seen um the Belko yes. experiment it's yeah, okay, kind of that. that that movie was just so stupid <laughs> but fun yeah so this yeah and like there's so many like people in it I didn't expect yeah, okay. like yeah. actors 
But um, and, and they do a really good job of hiding who the main character is. So if you haven't seen a trailer for anything, just completely yeah. skip it and yeah. just go in blind. I reckon. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like it's like twenty thirty dollars to like, rent, like, so maybe wait a bit if you twenty second Facebook trailer. That's yeah, yeah that's all leave I've it seen at that. That just keeps <laughs> popping up on my feed every day. Yeah. I'm glad I made that choice and it's like I feel like it knows that we yeah, talk about it every week on. it feels like it knows what I talk about on here because some things we say like my phone's obviously definitely listening oh 100% oh 100% yeah I just got a I just got a notification on my phone that the bill for our podcasting host, hosting had been paid that's nice. Oh, oh that's exciting. Yay, we're still on air. Woo! <laughs> 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 um, uh, hell yeah. Um, well, I was trying to think what I'd been watching. I feel like I've just been watching a lot of shit lately. <laughs> like, just like those stupid romantic comedy movies that I hate. But we all secretly um, love. <laughs> so I watched Fool's Gold the oh. other night. I kind of loved it. <laughs> um, what, a, what a movie. What an absolute movie. It's like Matthew yeah. McConaughey at his tannest. It's great. Peak Matthew like, McConaughey. That's like peak, what was like, early 2000s? I think it was like 2003 yeah. or something. Or maybe 2008. <laughs> I can't remember. It's, yeah. Um... What else have I watched? Oh, um, 28 Days with Sandra Bullock in it, the one where she goes to rehab. Are you okay, Kat? Um, not really. <laughs> this is what isolation's doing to me. <laughs> um, but I've also been watching Westworld, so I'm like partway through season yeah, two. Yeah, okay. I still have to start season and three. And I'm loving it. You can't give me any spoilers. But I feel like I have to rewatch one and two before I watch three because it's been so long. Like it's been four years since I watched season one. Well, yeah, one. that's like, why I'm Christ. Yeah, that's why I'm rewatching them. <laughs> um, and I also started Outer Banks, which is like kind of okay. It's just like Riverdale, but I don't know. They all go on a boat sometimes. Yeah, right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds exciting. Yeah. Yeah, that's been my life this week. Fair enough. Well, I guess, yeah, I don't know. Like, that's really it, isn't it? Pretty much. Oh, actually, I watched Molly's Game this morning. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because it's just come out on Netflix yeah. and I have seen it before, but I watched it good again shit. and it was really good. The um hmm. character in that that's like, you know, the mysterious celebrity and it's played by, um, what's his name? Michael yeah. Sierra. Do you know who that's based on? Do you know who that actually is in real life? Yeah. Toby yeah, Maguire. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> because it was like peak Spider Man like fame. And everyone wanted to like pay poker with him, but he supposedly he was just the biggest monster of a human being of all time. That does not surprise like, me. Yeah, I refuse honestly. to believe it. I feel like I Toby Maguire would be a bit of a dickhead. Especially at peak Spider-Man no, time. You, you can't convince me. Because he would be like <laughs> the, one of the biggest stars in the world. 
and it definitely would have gone to his head. Roughly 100% so. would have gone to his head. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, well. Yep, yep. That's a shame. Oh, well. That's it, I think, for this Sweet. week. Sweet. Well, I guess I'll uh, wrap us up. So you can find us at Watch It Again Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, or you can send us an email at watchitagainpod at gmail.com. Everything's looked linked in the episode description below leave us a review on uh, iTunes we will read them out um, or yeah send us an email on your thoughts of the movie we um, just discussed or um, anything you want us to talk about in what you've been watching or what you're excited for you know something you might want us to mention if it comes out and get our hot take on something new or something old We'll try our best to discuss anything you send through. And otherwise, thank you so much for listening this week for Schindler's List. We'll come back to you next week with something else exciting and fun and to keep you out of boredom during our coronavirus shutdown. So thank you for listening. As always, I'm Jacob and with me is... I'm Kat. And I'm Nick. We'll catch you guys next week. See you later. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.